This is The Strategist, episode 1065. My name is Zane Belgey. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, there's absolutely no time. Stephen Carter, how long does Suella Braverman last, Carter? This is this is burning up yeah. the internet. By the time we out. post this, it might be it too be late. Too it late. could be over. Good prediction. It could here. be over. And like on the other side oh, of follow-up question, yeah. Stephen. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, follow-up question. Who is Suella Home Braverman? Secretary in the UK government. Oh shit! Yeah. Okay, you've got. Well, one I mean, fa- she might be Can fired you a by two different prime ministers in the same year. Okay, I told you that. You one, should, actually, listen. Yeah, you, you just taking to- credit for my information does not make you look smarter. Okay, it does not make you look smarter. All right. I very clearly studied this for seconds, as you guys said we were talking about her, and uh, yeah, now I know she's also King's Counsel. Okay, as you know, pretty good. Uh- Carter, um, you know, there's a there's a reason I go to you on this one. Uh, she could be fired yeah. twice. Now, uh, <laughs> what are you? What You're are you suggesting, right. Zane? <laughs> there's a reason I asked. I really wanted to ask you who she was, but now you've asked, forced me to ask the follow up question to you instead uh-huh. of Corey. Uh, will she get fired? Will she get Will she get fired by Prime Minister Rishi Sunak uh, as as Home Secretary for taking a a private speeding course and breaking potential ethics laws? Um, seems like ethics really don't. Uh, matter anywhere well, anymore, I mean, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious. We, it's not like, say, for example, you were running an election and yeah. someone was found to break the, been breaking the election, uh, the the ethics laws, right? The conflict of interest. Yeah. It's yeah. not like that would matter, right? The people have the ultimate choice, and the ultimate choice is obviously being ignored. It's been ignored with uh, with Trump. It's been ignored with you know in Canada. I will just skip over which politicians, all of them, and it's being ignored in, in the UK. I don't think that she should be forced to step down. First of all, you know it's just not very nice to her to have that happen. It's not very nice. <laughs> that's good. Thank you, Carter. Yeah, that's Gordon. pretty good. You have yeah. anything to say, Corey? We our entire bit was planned around Carter not knowing it, us then I know. mocking him about him not knowing it. God, and I, then, I had to hustle I know, to get that done. Kind of died. Hustle. One quick search, and the first thing that came up was Wikipedia. And I got to tell you, that did not instill confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anything you guys want to talk about before before we jump into it? Yeah, I got something that's been on my mind for the past couple of days here. I'm a little upset about it. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Actually, if I'm going to be totally candid here. Do you put your toaster in the cupboard, or do you leave it on your counter? Okay, so here's what happens. The, the, The bread goes in the fridge. And if the bread grows in a fridge, the bread needs a friend. So the toaster, also in the fridge. That's not no, a that's real not answer. Real. No. Do you leave your toaster on the counter? Toasters, or do you put it- toasters a... Okay, so toaster on the counter, I think, is a conditional sort of thing. Depends on your state and status in life. Do you have enough counter space? Is your toaster it's uh, a yes, it's, aligned it's, aesthetically it's with the rest it's of your kitchen? Binary. Now, in my, case, yeah. in my case, I have a lot of white... Uh, backsplash and 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 countertop. Don't make this about race. Black toaster, Stephen. Don't Carter. make this about race. Black toaster. Okay. okay. However, despite it being a black toaster, it stays out. It doesn't go in the cupboard. It is not being hidden. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so easy. The answer is toaster stays on the counter. Correct. We're aligned. Hot on this appliances. One. Hot appliances stay on the counter. Okay, so there's no, no debate. We're same on the with same the, uh, what, what the same with the air on there. Stays in the counter. That's why we got the one that folds up. Are we all on the same up. team here? Air air That's fryer stays in in wait stays on, on the counter. The yeah. rice cooker, the rice yeah, maker out. goes in the cupboard. Okay. Well, I don't I don't even think an air fryer is a real thing. 
Quite Talk to us about the genesis of this. What, what, what is the background? What are we missing? This, this was big discussion on the Discord. There were people who put their toasters every time they finish making toast. Apparently, they take their toaster, you know, still hot all from the, the toast, you know, and yeah. they put it with all the crumbs and they're putting it in the cupboard. I may need to text my wife because I think she may have actually just just recently made this change <laughs> for us. And as you know, I've been involved in something else, so I do not know the current status and orientation. Of our small appliances. But I might actually have a different answer for you in a few minutes here, because this is reminding me of a conversation that I was a part of. That was a two-way conversation that became a one-way conversation where I may have consented, Corey, to just that, that our toaster... To putting the toaster in the cupboard. Potentially be hidden. Stand by. I'll tell you something, Corey. If he's not successful in his little side project that he's doing right now, my toaster is going in the bathtub. Yeah. That's where my toaster is going to (laughs) go. That's too dark. That's Wait, too dark. And, Don't and, say uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, come on, man. Fucking uh, smart up, joke, would you? Though. Wasn't it a funny joke? It was, it was okay. It was okay. Zane it was laughed. too dark. It was, it was a little dark. We do, jo- dark. We do dark jokes dark. here. It's what we do. Come on. Fun time. Listen, there's a number, there's a number oh, okay. you can call, and it's 587-A0K-Zane, uh, and that will give you the hope you need to get exactly. through whatever's coming. Also- 587-A0-K-Zane. That's out there for our listeners now. Here we go. Here we go. Live updates. Here I sent three text messages. Is our toaster text message number one? Now in the cupboard. Text message number two. Text message number three. We are having a debate. The answers. No. I left it out because I couldn't find anywhere to put it. So there was an intention to put go. it. There was an intention to put it in the cupboard. You dodged a bullet there. It in there. You dodged a bullet. I yeah. think it's okay. It's okay. You know what? I think maybe the lack of cupboard space was a bit of a cover for the fact that she came to her senses and realized that, uh, like, the inefficiency of putting a toaster, like, and then you're going to forget oh, it exists and you won't eat Ever. toast for days at Here's time. The thing, and then though, all I, of that bread, I feel like culturally, pile up on Corey, your you need to you need to do you need to do the math here. I feel okay. like culturally, we're eating less toast. I'm just going to make that claim. I oh, feel like wow. societally, we're just Bold. eating less. Fucking toast. Bold less claim. bagels, less toast. Okay. I just don't no, think we included bagels. So I think with that being said, you included oh bagels. You had me until you included bagels because I was going to suggest perhaps the number of toastables has still remained significant. No, I think we're on a, on a, on a net toastable basis. By the way, Pop Tarts used to be here, now here. For those who can't that see was me, really good hand crater. Yeah, yeah, Pop Tarts have, uh, have hit their floor. No, 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 no. Uh, you, you're saying like this. Toastables do you're saying this with a newborn. Let's get an episode of the Joe yeah. Rogan show. Where this guy's <laughs> the back to Google shit and text his wife. Uh, <laughs> so this is what happens when we can't yeah, talk about great, Alberta hey? politics. This is good, this... good content. Oh, yeah. I have so many things to say. Why don't you say, say so them? Like, what, yeah. the, what are they going to do? Mean, you fire say you them. Uh, no, like, I, You know what? I, I will move can. on to our first segment. Our first segment. Our first segment is the cake baked. Yes, let's move it on from toastables to ovenables, Stephen Carter. This is a question I have, and this is, of course, applicable to the Alberta election, but I, this is a question I have for two of you, campaign strategists who've done this numerous times, who've put together you know, campaigns that last many months. Corey, you, you, and I believe you may have said it on a previous episode, but you often say campaigns, um, you know, paraphrasing, they're their own worst enemy in the final week, or they're the yeah, only they ones run that against fuck, themselves. The, the ones that can fuck week. themselves, sure. Yeah. Uh, but I also wanted to kind of explore another uh, sort of 
avenue of that question, Carter. In Alberta, we've got the last, uh, in this case, seven days left. We're sitting here on long weekend Monday, so the election day is seven days from today. Um, the question I really have, Carter, and I'm, I'm curious to get the most nuanced answer I can from you, is that is is how much of the cake is currently baked? You, you and I were discussing this, right? Like you, you you've been you've been texting me all week and be like, "Fuck it, Zane, why don't you just talk about the Alberta yeah, election? It's, done. it's all done. You can't get you you can't you can't do anything. It's all over." So let's talk about that. I actually want to bring that text conversation live to the listeners because this is considered to be the most pivotal week in the campaign. It's the week where everyone starts voting. Advanced voting starts tomorrow for those of you in the province and out of the province. And then election day is next Monday. So to many and to the observers and to many in the media, this is the the polls are tight. This is the week that everything that gets done. So let's talk about the cake being baked and how much is it baked. I want to see if you guys are on the same page here and and what is or is not baked at the at this stage. Carter, give me your analysis first. Corey, I'll jump in well, uh, to you with that same question. I mean, the, the answer is that it's not yet baked, but the ingredients are all mixed and you're now putting it in the oven. And what happens in the oven is entirely anyone's guess, right? Like um, sometimes it comes out and it, and it is entirely as predicted. Everybody knew the outcome going in and we slide the cake in and, and out comes the fully baked cake as expected. You know, it is a, uh, it's an angel food cake. Isn't that exciting? We, we put, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, everything worked out perfectly. And other times you put it in and out comes a burnt piece of shit. And, uh, you know, that is, that also could happen. But the, the person baking it, the person preparing it, like once you've put the ingredients together, once everything has happened, you put it into the oven and there is just not much left that you can do. Uh, you have done all the mistakes that you have made were done in advance, right? All the good things that you did were done in advance. And now all you're doing is sliding the prepared batter into the, into the oven to bake your cake. So my answer is, yeah, things can still change. Things can still turn out horribly or really, really well. But I don't think that you win or lose an election in the last five days, um, especially when you're starting your advance polls and we're looking at potentially 50% of voters voting in the first four days. I mean, People are going to vote tomorrow. Big swell of people. Tomorrow will be the busiest advance polls, um, right? Mm-hmm. Once those mm-hmm. people are off the rolls, I mean, what's it going to be? 15% of the total elections off the table tomorrow. Now, we could argue those are your most dedicated supporters. Those are your least likely swing voters. And I'm sure we'll get to that in a moment. But the um, the case often becomes not, will I change my vote to the other person or to the other party or a different party? The question then becomes, do I care enough to actually vote? So, you know, I think the cake is baked from your point of view, from the point of view of of the election practitioners, they'll repackage their stuff. They'll do it one more time. You won't see a major policy announcement this week. There won't be able to look desperate, right? It'll all be repackaging. Corey, do do you agree around Carter's uh, analogy that the ingredients are there that very difficult to change those ingredients and you're just popping it in the oven and whatever comes out comes out as your end use product? Uh, Carter's still giving a bit of, um, I guess, uh, optionality that there are some things that could change because of that. Um, But do you largely agree that in the T minus and and we're in the Alberta context, of course, that's the most relevant. But I kind of talk about this as a more general practitioner rule about the final seven days. No, I I think that in the last seven days, it's hard to make a better cake. So I agree on that point. But Mm. you you can fuck it up, right? You can open it up and pull it out and start messing with it. Start, you know, second guessing the ingredients you have there. Putting the cake in the toaster. Yeah, yeah, you can... 
you could turn the heat up too high. You can turn the heat up too high and you can stop. You can take it out too early. And all of these things can really fuck up your cake. And this is part of why I say mm. in the last week, campaigns run against themselves. They start, they're, there's no longer ingredients to mix and they're still in the kitchen and they want to do something. And it's that doing something that often leads to them fucking things up. And it really is about, you know, you were on a recipe, you've put it in, you have to follow the recipe through at this point. Don't screw it up. That is the name of the game in the last week. And yes, of course, as we have now gotten into the 2020s here, there's the reality that so many more of those votes are cast. As of tomorrow, there will be what? What do we think? 15%, 15% of the province yeah. might have voted? Carter said, yeah. yeah. It's a real possibility. And we've seen in other and, provinces that, that um, you know, Carter's uh, proof point of uh, half the electorate, perhaps, or half the folks that are going to vote, voting in the advanced polls uh, and, and half voting on election day. Yeah. And that changes the dynamics because now in your week, I you, you've got get out the vote. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's continue this this metaphor and let's just say it's uh it's like cleaning the dishes that you made the cake in here because you got to do that too or else your job's not done. And uh, and there's a little bit of GOTV this week as well as a result. But yeah, I mean you can absolutely fuck it up in the last week. And Stephen, I can think about the 2012 campaign we were both involved in. I would say Danielle Smith kind of fucked it up the last week. Arguably, she fucked it up the week before. It was a 10-day cycle that kind of carried, because it was, I think, the Tuesday prior to the election week that she that we did the uh, Lake of Fire. And then it just kept going. Do you remember if you had the same advanced vote? No, we didn't. It was... Um, um, you oh, didn't. No. Well, you, yeah. you, had, you had culminated, you had everything culminating into the election, or not everything, but... The vast majority of the vote culminating onto Edith yeah. in that in that particular yeah, twenty two. I mean, really, uh, advanced voting didn't change, which gave you a, a longer runway, right? Like in 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 it to, especially for like because I go back to your point, Carter. You had a dynamic where there was people to persuade that actually gave you a longer runway in some way, didn't it? To let that fully come out, let her reaction to the incident fully absorb, and then have people make up their mind. Like you almost had like a three chapter situation the story the response and then people kind of analyzing what they made of both the story and the response if that's well, yeah not and i simplistic. mean polling didn't catch it until the end like polling didn't even see it there was one poll i think that that maybe had us ticking above the the wild rose just before the end and so no one believed that we were actually going to win but um again that just happened in the oven right the the ingredients were mixed before Right. I, like, I think that had that information come out in the last week, um, like, like, say, for example, you were sitting on a big fucking Danielle Smith, you know, this is going to embarrass the hell out of her. You'd have done it last week, not next week. Right. This week coming up mm-hmm. is, is just it's too close. Will it be covered? Will it will it have enough time to seep into our consciousness? Um, and this is kind of what I'm I talk about a lot with the less engaged. Right. The less engaged aren't following Twitter. They're not listening to the podcast. They almost get facts through osmosis. And osmosis takes time. It takes time for the information to be passed from your brother to your sister-in-law, to from the sister-in-law to your, your friend Kathy at the book club. And it, it just, it passes so slowly that, you know, five, six days after the information was known, suddenly it comes home to roost. That's right. Yeah. Corey, uh, well, and finish uh, us off on this. I just <coughs> wanted to do a quick segment. Just get your guys' take on, on, our, on our text chat, and, and then I'll move it on to, to other topics. Well, one of the more dramatic illustrations of that was in the Montana congressional race. Uh, Greg Gianforti, mm-hmm. 
I think, right? He uh, he punched yeah. a reporter, assaulted a reporter at the very least the day before the election. And yeah, I mean, when you looked at the looked at the results on election day, they were a lot less positive for him. But so many of the votes were in the can already. Didn't, Sean didn't Chu. really change it, Carter. Sean Chu. I was, I was just going to make bring that example. Sean Chu. Yeah, was, we've got I was an just going to bring that. Ag- what was the timing on that? This is really can you, Sean. I could. So I the could benefit look. of those. Yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, from Sean out, Chu. Give the context a, and then the a timing. Calgary area councilor. Uh, really serious allegations made against him, and they happened just just before the election. Yeah, it was too late. The advance, you know, and if you looked at the the advance vote versus the vote on the day, I mean, dramatically different. Yeah. Reverse. Yeah, Here like you you, it was it was clear that the story had had an impact, but it it didn't get the the soak time, and we've talked about that quite often that it needed with yeah. the with the public. Fascinating stuff. I'm sure you guys will pick it up with Annalise uh, over the course of the next uh, couple of episodes. A lot to talk about in Alberta. Uh, we'll move it on to our next segment. Our next segment, failure to soft launch. Stephen Carter, I have to oh, start great. with you. Great. No, why, <laughs> why, why would you come soft, soft launch? Is what you me, want. Yeah. I, well, Carter, uh, Corey, remind uh, our listeners, our loyal, loyal oh. listeners, uh, and our less loyal listeners, I should say, yeah, yeah. Uh, why, why I go to Stephen Carter every time we talk about uh, the concept you, of you don't need the to do this, Corey. launch. There, I think he does. There was a day. There was a day. Stephen Carter was running a campaign, actually, in the leadership race for the Progressive Conservative Party, uh, that the one that Jason Kenney ultimately won here. Now... As a listener of the podcast, you would have known that uh, before everybody else, because Stephen talked about it on the podcast. You guys before forced it me like because news. you guys were such jerks. You forced me to betray the confidences of all those that I cared about. Uh, as I recall it, you guys were all around my dining table. We were recording That's, in, in well, that. Uh, I can remember. And Carter said it, and Corey and I looked at each other, being like, "Does he actually <laughs> want to go down this path?" And knowing Carter, uh, master of the double down, both theoretically and yeah. in practice, he just kept going. And he said, "Fuck it, uh, I don't care about the consequences." Uh, Doesn't sound and, like me. Uh, your candidate did your did your candidate win? No, we. I mean, she dropped out. No. Yeah, I mean, when the busload of Catholic undefeated. kids showed up to uh, vote for the pro-abortion amendments to the Constitution and such. Uh, that was time there for us to get the hell out of that uh, out of that party. So let me tell you something. We were at your table I and we did that, our yeah. usual thing, which yeah. is no editing and just immediately yeah. posting the episode. And then I went to... We don't edit no, this thing? Never. Really? I know. <laughs> strange, eh? Surprising. Uh, so then I went to a, uh, a bar in... Um, Near the Stampede Grounds. That's all I really yeah, remember okay, about it. Okay. Not an hour had passed. Like, yeah. actually, clearly, somebody who had been listening it on it at like one and a half yeah. time or something. And my phone goes ping, and I look, and it's like, did did Stephen Carter just launch this campaign? And I'm like, yeah, I guess he guess he did, you know. And then ping, 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 and over the next hour, I just had people, reporters, hangers on, friends, everybody texting me saying. What has happened here? But it was really exciting. You broke news on the strategist. You guys make it sound like uh, sometimes I'm not a big deal. But what I'm hearing is I was kind of a big deal. Saying any news you want to break while you're anything you want to tell us about? Because you're here and you're on the campaign. Oh, so (laughs) I've got nothing to talk about. Although, 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 I do want to. I do want to actually use the story of the of the soft launch to talk about something that is. Um, that has happened uh, in specific in the Ontario Liberal mm. Party leadership, but I want to maybe use it as a, a canvas to talk about 
exploratory committees, Carter, because Bonnie Crombie, who's the current mayor yeah. of Mississauga, who for a long time, even this past week on Power and Politics and with Vashi Capellas on CTV, was flirting around the question as to whether she'd throw her hat into the, the liberal leadership race. Well, turns out that on Monday, there was a landing page that talked about her, her ambition, uh, what she would do, should she run. But it was A, leaked. Uh, so the page wasn't ready for prime time, so they had to take it down. There's that angle of the story, which we can discuss and how that happens in campaigns and how you keep your data tight and how do you kind of, uh, you know, s- stop soft launching like she did. But she also tried to perhaps prevent a soft launch by doing something called an exploratory committee. And and I know on our podcast, we've discussed some of these instruments, these political instruments as length. We've talked about vote pledges yeah. before. I think we did a deep dive on vote pledges and where they work. We did a, a deeper dive, and I think you guys touched on this with Annalise as well, as to whether draft campaigns, oh, those, remember those? Yeah, uh, we've talked about those, whether those are effective or those work. I don't know if we've ever had the opportunity to talk about exploratory. And you know what's interesting is that from my recollection, at least two out of the four candidates in the Ontario Liberal leadership started with exploratory committees. They started with uh, Yasser Nakvi, who's now fully in the race, and now Bonnie Crombie, who, who may or may not enter the race, but seems like with this indication, she probably will be entering the race, have started this exploratory committee angle. And this, this is a, something that I know is very common in the United States. I know it's something we've seen often, but Corey, maybe let me start with you. Your thinking on this concept of exploratory committees, their st- strategy behind them, the purpose from them, and the usefulness they have in our broader Canadian context. And there might be a financial context to this, which we can, we can get into, but give me your top line thoughts and and then I want to get into the personal, like, have you guys used them? Have you considered using them? Are they an instrument we should be looking out for more and more? What do they signal? There's a whole list of things I want to talk about. But Corey, your initial take on exploratory committees um, and, and their usefulness in the Canadian political context. Well, like like so much these days, like PACs, all of these other ways we think about politics, they are a bit of an import from the United States, where it's a way to enter the race without entering the race. It's kind of a half in. And I mean, it is exactly what it sounds. It's somebody who's going out there and formally considering whether they are going to run for one of these offices. And realistically, they serve a pretty significant need for larger offices because otherwise we're all playing kind of a silly game and we're playing in this gray area of fundraising rules, right? Does it co- Is it covered by fundraising rules? Is it not? But if you're running for a big office, like uh, you know the leader of a political party in Ontario, president of the United States, the reality is a true canvassing of it, a proper exploration and the resourcing required for a proper exploration that requires a level of organization that requires something like an exploratory committee, no matter what you call it. And I'm, I kind of like exploratory committees because they, they take it into the light of day, right? They allow you to actually see the organization, know who you're talking to, have it covered by fundraising rules in many cases, not all cases, depends on the jurisdiction, and, and just have a good conversation. But they also allow that candidate to have optionality. And it is possible, and you do often see at the end of an exploratory committee you know, run, people say, well, I'm not catching any fire, I'm out, right? Like, and then it usually takes the, like, well, now is not the time. I I could see these ideas and there's a lot of enthusiasm. I want to take that enthusiasm and return to Florida with it, you know, continue my work as governor, or I'm going to take that and I'm going to use it in supporting Barack Obama's presidency, wh- whatever mm-hmm, it may mm-hmm. end up being. But, you know, the Exploratory Committee built into it is the idea that it may not happen. So what you've ultimately done all of the fundraising, all the organization things aside, is you've created for yourself an off-ramp you may or may not take, 
at a certain point of public discourse. So, Carter, is it just a is it just an instrument for hedging bets? Well, <laughs> like, is, is it just simply a just so I can get the psychological comfort of never having to fail that I'm going to do this and have an off ramp? I don't mean to be so like plain about it, but is that what it is or does it serve a broader function than that? Well, I think that what it, it is fundamentally doing is trying to get around Elections Ontario's rules. I mean, I'm looking at their uh, so I, I'm trying to figure out like I know that an exploratory committee uh, is not legal in Alberta. It's not legal in Canada um, if you were to seek uh, an election there. And it's actually mm. not legal in Ontario from what I, uh, my quick uh, review of this. You must register as a leadership contestant to raise money and or spend money. Um, so what you're trying to do, I think, when you put together the leadership uh, is exactly what Corey's saying. It's a big job. It's a big thing. But you're trying to circumvent becoming official, right? Because the moment you become official, you have to adhere to the guidelines as articulated by Elections Canada or and elect Ontario, election, or Ontario Elections or Elections Ontario, Elections Alberta, whatever the, the situation may be. And those rules have become more and more stringent. Um, but, you know, it, it's really hard to do. Like, for example, when Mayor Sohi launched his campaign in Edmonton, he launched his campaign on May the 12th and he spent a shit ton of money. He put out signs, he had websites, everything was ready and everything was done. And I asked the question to myself, how did he raise the money to do it? You're, as a candidate, you can only put in $10,000 of your own money and you're not really allowed to run debt. So how did you put in place a fully, ups, a fully scaled campaign ready to put collateral materials on people's door that day? Because technically it shouldn't be legal. Now, what Corey's describing in an exploratory committee kind of hedges around that, right? It gets us around that legality, and we've imported it like we have, like Corey said, like we have with TPAs uh -huh. or, or PACs was what they call them in the States. These, these things that have uh, morphed, and now we're trying to control them. If we were doing less control, we wouldn't need these things, right? The exploratory committee would be 15 people around the candidate's table talking about, you know, the phone calls they're making, the potential money pledges they're getting. But with all these rules now, the second you decide that you're going to become a candidate, technically you're supposed to register. And if you don't register, you could find yourself in a heap of trouble. So these are ways around rules. These are ways to avoid them. And again, I'm not sure that in this specific case, that's what they're trying to do. But... That's what it has the effect of. So, so, there, so there's more than just hedging bets, right? There's this concept of, of, of rules, potentially money, the coordination. I'm on her website right now, yeah. bonnieforleader.ca. Let me get back into the specific, right? Beautiful website. Like it's, it's got clearly well-designed, you know, uh, graphics. You know, Corey, you'll probably have some quibbles about like what, what I actually mean beautiful website. What I mean by is it's purposely yeah. designed. Right. This is what I mean by beautiful. Right. Like there's yeah. it's technically like, you know, there's there's issues with it. We can get into the marketing of it. We, and we will at some point go through a website review of candidates and campaigns. But this is deliberate is what I mean to say. This is they hired a web developer. They put a website together. They've created a logo. They've in, in, ensured that the Ontario sort of official flower is part of all that sort of stuff. So there is an element of polish here. But Carter, the question I have to maybe challenge the hedge the bets question is that. Have you ever seen anyone in the Canadian context start an exploratory committee and not run? Which is to say, which is to say, is it actually, let's disabuse people of the notion, is it actually to explore your viability? Is it actually to explore whether the office is for you? Or is it something 
beyond that, right? I, I want to actually answer that sort of question because if you are running for some office in this country, you probably already know whether you've got the ability to raise the money, find the people, and have a political viability for that office before you set up a very nice looking website with all this preloaded uh, graphics, preloaded endorsements, all that sort of stuff. So disabuse me of the notion or validate it for me that this is actually for pure exploration of your running for an office. I mean, the explore, uh, exploration is done totally through telephone calls, emails, everybody, you know, the standard thing is everybody says, uh, I've been talking to my, you know, so many people have been asking me to run. No one's been asking you to run. You've been asking everybody, you know, should I run? Should I run? What, you know, will you give me money? How much money could you raise for me? All of those conversations are done. And I'm, I'm looking at the website as well. When I looked at the website on my mobile, it was already set up for mobile. Like this is, she's running, right? There's no... <laughs> This is what bothers me about these structures and, and things that we've put in place. If you're, if you're finding loopholes and trying to get out of these things, that's not a good start. That's not the way these things are supposed to work. Um, so I don't believe that's true. Now, we, we did the whole Green Party, you know, the draft thing, and we were convinced that no one mm-hmm. would be stupid enough to try and draft the leader of the Green Party without the Green Party's leader's already endorsement, right? Like, he's already in. He's going to do this. Um, but we did find out, in fact, they were that stupid. Um, so maybe, maybe <laughs> someone is this stupid, but I, I don't know. Um, I, I would, I would hesitate to call somebody that stupid unless I knew them. Then I'd call them that stupid. Corey, answer that same question. Disabuse me of the, is it actually fundamentally for exploration? Because I hear you're hedging bets and, and, and I inserted the concept of psychological comfort. If you never actually pull the trigger on running, you've got an off ramp. But have we ever seen it actually be used that way, Corey? Or, or is it actually something uh, you know uh, different that, that we should uh, think about and how we should think about them? Yeah, I mean, arguably we have. I'm not sure if she ever used the phrase exploratory committee, but Michelle Rempel Garner, she she used uh, a, an exploration of this. She said, "I am stepping away from the Patrick Brown campaign to explore the idea or assess the idea as to whether I'm going to run for UCP leader." And then she decided not to run for okay, UCP good example. leader. Good example. So yeah, yeah I mean, it, it is quite possible to happen. But uh, you know, almost to argue against that, Zane, you could make the argument she was planning yeah. to run, and then she decided decided not to run and did it fundamentally change anything (laughs) there right i don't know the answer to that i obviously cannot know the answer to that that's something only she can really know the answer of but it is it's not a crazy idea that you would look into these things and say you know what not quite in the cards you don't do it publicly the other benefit of the exploratory committee that's my point Corey. like you would do that behind the scenes well so here's the other benefit of the exploratory committee this is where I'm getting to, is if you're worried about it leaking out and it causing you some sort of trouble. And I think Michelle uh, is, is probably a good example of that, right? If you heard that she was looking into this and making phone calls and considering running at the same time she was a co-chair for a, a CPC leadership candidate, that could be really messy, right? Like, who are you calling on behalf of? What kind of work are you doing? And sometimes you just need to declare those things to get yourself out of trouble, Imagine it's well in Nakvi's case, right? We had this conversation actually, I think, directly about it. Like, if there are rumors he is running, yeah, it better not be the first time the prime minister hears about it when yeah. he hears the rumors. And his you've, particular you've, thing was how to off ramp from federal office. That's right. Yeah, and so maybe you have to be really intentional about, you know, what prime minister? I am exploring this. I have not made up my mind yet, and it's quite possible 
he hadn't made up his mind the first time they had that conversation. But by declaring it there, you avoid the risk that somebody's going to find out about it in a way they're not going to like, and you've just put those cards on the table. Stephen Carter, are you familiar with the fa- uh, phrase, fuck around, uh, find uh, out? No. Are you familiar with Could that, you explain with that it phrase? to me? Okay. Uh, the phrase uh, has a genesis of uh, you fuck around, and then you find oh. out uh, the consequences of, of fucking around, where the definition of fucking around has a, has a wide berth. Wow, mean this is things. something I now, wish I'd known yeah. before. Thank you. Yes, I feel like yeah, it could have been a life lesson. Yeah. We might, we might just need, we might Thank just need you. on the strategist.ca fuck around, find out T-shirts with my face uh, on dedication. them. Because that would be just, just Stephen Carter. I get Stephen the proceeds. Carter. Corey's cringing, but he wants to make yeah. it. I feel like Corey's cringing, mm-hmm. but he wants to make these shirts. Carter, one may argue that the Bonnie Crombie uh, exploratory committee was a leak. It was a fuck <laughs> up. And do you know what they found out, Stephen Carter? They found out some beautiful articles about bonnie crombie running for ontario liberal leader in the canadian press the toronto star every major outlet covering it in fact some even talking about the leak so they look at it as a a bit of a scoop that you know we were able to source some of the leaked information stephen carter i have to ask you was the leak deliberate was the leak deliberate if we go down to brass tax abstraction no actually i actually do not know the answer to that question i now i'm back so hang on a second are you suggesting now you're you're being a dick they got at least twice as much coverage as they would have got if they just i don't know hold on are you suggesting that it was so successful i'm actually genuinely asking i'm a proxy of the audience here no no, i'm I'm genuinely asking you was the leak a strategy if it wasn't it should have been because this is this is exactly you know this is what we this is how you'd get coverage now. You know, I mean, I, I, I may have mentioned to a few people uh, how to generate, uh, you know, memos that get coverage by the media every once in a while, occasionally. You know, these are the ways, like, you, put, you want to make sure that your event never gets covered? Send a press release, right? Send a press release. No one will cover your event. Send an internal email that accidentally gets sent to the wrong group of people, and suddenly you are the most popular uh, campaign in town. Like that's the way the media likes scoops. They don't like, you know, spoon fed stories. So if you want to make sure that your spoon fed story gets more coverage, make it look like a scoop. And it, is there no, is there no doubt in your mind that this was a no, strategy? This is, like I, I just be, this be, is be luck. No, this no, no, be honest. Dumbass I, luck, Zane. Unbelievable how this happened. Twice as much coverage she's going to get. And then all those numbers just <laughs> happened to be ready. The pollsters that just happened to last week be in the field testing her popularity. Oh my goodness, she's very popular. I did not expect that. Wow, how did they have those numbers ready? What a remarkable coincidence. Give me a fucking break, Zane. Don't be so naive. You, you are so naive, or is there any- you'd be fitting right in on the Discord where they are the most naive people. <laughs> I am a proxy for the audience, Corey Hogan. Is there any chance that this was not deliberate this leak? I I guess there's a chance. I, I think it's possible. I do feel it's somewhat improbable because it just worked too neatly. And, you know, it's like the old line from the movie oh, yeah. Dave, right? Like, if if I am, you know, if my son shall be struck by lightning, I'm going to hold some people in this room accountable. Like, don't believe in coincidence. And it's hard to believe in coincidence in these particular moments, especially when there was such a media blitz planned for today. Anyhow, right? Like, that's that's a little bit much. Although, um, if it was a screw up, it was, uh, you know, it was give the person who screwed up a raise because that was that was obviously to your advantage here. 
Carter, what would you have done? G- can you go back to me? You, Bonnie Crombie approaches you. Let's go to strategist mode for a second. Bonnie Crombie approaches you, mayor of Mississauga, profile, perhaps wants to do it. Is exactly today's template what you would have done for a day one of a campaign launch? Or would this have been something different for you? I want to get your, your strategy on this. And Corey, I'm going to go to you and then we'll Well, I've it never up. done one like this. I mean, I think that if someone, like, I'm not sure that I would have been creative enough to come up with this. This is a really good idea. Um, and if someone on my team had come to me and said, you know, this is what we want to do, I would have said, yes, for sure. That sounds fantastic. Um, there's a tremendous amount of coverage available um, for this type of a leak. And I think that, you know, the outcome has proven that it was a really, really smart idea. So, you know, I, I wouldn't have necessarily thought of it, but that does not mean that I would not have jumped on wholeheartedly someone else's idea uh, on the team who came up with this. Because I just think it's it's brilliant. It, it achieved everything that she wanted to achieve from her launch and she still gets a chance to launch again next week, right? Or whenever she chooses to launch, two weeks from now, three weeks from now. She's automatically a contender because of the way that this information leaked. I mean, she would have been a contender anyways, but she really, really ramped it up. Corey, what would you have done if, if Crombie approached you, gave you the conditions? Uh, would this have been your strategy? And and do you do you feel like there was anything to optimize this strategy, anything to make it better, anything you would have changed? Well, I, I like the strategy, but I think what's missing is they probably needed to get the phone number 587-A0-K-Zane to, um, you know, to, to be able to call in and, and give your support as well. And, you know, just to let, just to let them know that you support them running for leader of whatever they choose to run yeah. for leader of, I think that's an analog too, well. kind of like Make- the old school, you know, dial yeah. in on a rotary. Phone well, it shows that, uh, yeah, uh, rotary I- phones are. Zane doesn't know what a rotary phone is. I have is. no idea what it is. Uh, Corey, can you repeat that number just for the listeners that uh, may not have caught it? Uh, and then, Carter, I've got one final follow-up for you before we move on. Oh, yeah. No, 587-A-0-K, Zane. A-0-K, not A-O-K. No, hey, listen. This has gone through a lot of stuff. Like, <laughs> we, yeah. we, we don't have A-O-K, yeah. right? We no. don't have A-O-K. It is not no, A-O-K. But you know what? Zero starts with Z. Zane starts with Z. Zero K is your bank balance after working at a campaign yeah. for a month. All of it tracks, man. It's fine. A zero K Zane. Yeah. Card yep. question for you. At some point, this this let's just let's just take let's just box up what we talked about, right? This strategy. Let's just uh, let's just call this a neat strategy. The let's call it the exploratory committee. Oh no, we put it up and it got us great uh, earned media coverage on a pre-launch day strategy. Yep. Okay, let's call it that. How many more times can someone use this before it doesn't get covered? Because there's probably old campaign strategies that you've got at the back of the book as other pages like this one now enter the front of the binder. And the next campaign you run, you're probably going to go into the launch section and you're going to see this as one of the options. And then you're going to go to the other ones in the back and you're like, well, fuck, that doesn't work anymore. So talk to me about kind of the the diminishing, um, if you actually believe it's diminishing. And tell me if I'm putting my thumb on the scale here, which I often do on this show, yeah, I don't know if you've yeah. noticed. But tell me about the diminishing uh, returns on strategies after they are used, covered, optimized? Or do you feel like we're actually in an era where uh, perhaps uh, as relation to to media uh, eroding that you could use this again? Or it's a jurisdictional or regional thing. Talk to me about that. I find that really fascinating because uh, let's, let's agree with you. This is another page that you can use and put in your toolkit 
what does it actually do the next time Stephen Carter wants to use it in Alberta or Corey Hogan is running a campaign in BC and he wants to use it? Talk to me about how you kind of consider it in the broader context and the broader suite of tools. Uh, yeah, going I mean, Carter. Um, it will maybe be less effective in, in Ontario, but it'd be totally easy to steal this and bring it across the country and do it in another market. Um, and it, not so? only that, it would be easy to do it again in Ontario. What will happen, though, is that... Um, As he just said, it'll be very different. It'd be easier. <laughs> but also, you know, people... You know, the, Stephen Carter at the start of that sentence felt different than Stephen Carter thing, at guys, the end of that the media sentence. Is not gonna, the media will always fall for it. Carter was exploring let, that let me tell you, and, and he really Let me explored. tell you who's not going to let this happen. Why? On, elections Why? Ontario. If this was a fall, you know, if this was a launch, if this was uh, like what what Elections Ontario is going to do is they're going to go back and look at their regulations and they're going to say, we've got a loophole. Right. And they're going to go back to the government and say, can we close this loophole? And the government um, will probably close the loophole because they don't want to have this available to their to their opposition, to other people. Right. Now that it's been used once by. You know, argue. You know, by the Ontario Liberals, you know the the the, the Conservatives will close it, um, and arguably it is a fairly egregious breach of the of, of the elections law, if she's launching a campaign before she's a registered candidate. So, you know, th- I think that that's a big if, yeah, like, and that's exactly know. why I said if. That's why I said if. That's why the word if okay. was there. It, it the word if was doing a lot of work, Corey, but I do think that yeah. You know, the way I read the laws in Ontario, very quickly, a skim of their webpage, uh, it's very similar to Alberta and very similar to Canada. When you want to run for a leadership, you've got to register. And I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Bonnie for leader, Bonnie Crombie, uh, registered as a a leadership contender in this race um, by probably Wednesday of this week. Your, Your thoughts on this in terms of, let's just say this is a page added. What does it do in terms of effectiveness going forward? Well, look, we're always trying to learn from the practices of different jurisdictions. And the laws, sometimes we look at them and we say, well, this is a variant that might work in this Alberta context. And maybe it's a question of the number of hedge words on on board. And maybe it's the exploratory committee can't be created by the candidate, but it can be created by people around the candidate. I don't know. But like this is the kind of thing that happens now because, and we've talked about this before, but I'll just, I'll, I'll throw it out there again. We have moved from a principles-based approach to a rules-based approach. So everything mm. is now seen as a blueprint to, if it's not legitimately excluded, it's legitimate. Right. And and so now people are going to say, OK, well, maybe I can take this tactic that worked for Bonnie Crombie in Ontario. I can pull it forward. And that's from a structure. That's from an exploratory committee point of view. But then more broadly, Zane, we're always learning yeah. from them. And certainly when we think about the idea of the accidentally launched website, even if it wasn't an accident, I guarantee you in the next 18 months, we're going to see that somewhere else in the country. We're, we're going to have someone read it the way we did, package it as a strategy, and look at it as well, as something yeah. that, that, that they can use. And, the first, and maybe it's not a website. I don't think it's the first time it's happened either, it, right? Yeah. Oh no, but like that's just it. Maybe it's not a website. Maybe it's not a. Maybe it's a platform. Maybe it's something else. But it will go to them. Oh my goodness, you weren't supposed to get that, but now we have this media coverage, and I guess now we'll put it up live. Like that's that's for sure going to happen. Can I? But that's the nature of political strategy. We're always you know lifting from each other as we look around. Carter, I, I, let me ask you the most nerdiest oh, of questions, and I feel like this is eh, this might be more Corey appropriate because he's considering a nerd. his giant fucking. Well, nerd. no, considering. 
I talked to you guys at one point about. Remember, I, I, t- I asked you guys at one point of whether you documented uh, campaigns, like week by week, you documented experiences, etc. How do you, Carter, keep your toolkit? Like, what does your actual toolkit look like? Because I just gave you the metaphor of this is now a page to your toolkit, which has gotten me on the idea of does Stephen Carter actually have like a a word file somewhere where he's got like four or five launch strategies associated with best practice, like the Bonnie Crombie strategy? I'm actually genuinely curious because I now I, I wish mean, I did. You know, we all I'm, do this. Now work. I'm feeling like I'm a little. Well, we all do this yeah. work. Like to be honest, the question is, we all do this work. So I'm actually now just curious from like a workman practitioner no, perspective. I, I don't have. Do you look at a story like this and you document it? Say, you know what? I don't want to forget that this is optionality available to me six months from now when I'm tapped to do something or two years from now, whatever. Talk to me about your your process here. I wasn't planning. Well, to I mean, I, I run these things. And then Corey, I same do question. You have a fairly extensive. Uh, actually, this is it right here. I'm going to hold it up for the audience. Um, I have a, a little yeah. note card thing because uh, I'm, you know, analog. Um, but I do keep track of different ideas and different things that can be done uh, in order to gain attention. Um, so wait, you've actually you've actually written them down on note yeah, cards? Yeah, I've got a lot of them. They be, that's actually bad. I did not uh, know that. That's way more than I expected. Yeah, that's a, that, I think it might be way more than both of but, us. But I'm not. So you have like I'm actually really curious. So in that he, sure, yeah, he held he up like this plastic note card. Lift it again. Lift it again. Lift it again. Like now, in take it that out. box, take it is out. Just What's like, in there? Carter's like, show, crazy show ideas to get no 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 not, no no because no, no, no. back of a card but like it's, their ideas to get attention like they they are like this is how I see well not necessarily just the media narrative I mean I'm I, I have different uh, different biases different things that I'm trying to play on tools that I've used in the past that will open those those two you know those doors but it's like attention like it's it's ultimately yeah it's like so for example gathering launches attention. I've got a okay. section on launches in here. I've got a wow. section on. Oh, you there's literally sections. So, you literally so it's like, not just cards. Oh, it's so like what, literally yeah, there's I mean, sections. Oh, so like like the 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 idea I had of like this is a page and Stephen Carter's like so he literally section. has. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a fucking professional, right? Like this is what I do. <laughs> this is what I do, and that's right. why well, like when no, I talk like, to people and I say, you know, this might help you in your campaign. I'm not just pulling it out of my ass. I study this. I learn this. I put it on. I do note cards. I try and you figure know, out what biases we're playing with, how people are making decisions, how information flows. All of that really matters. I need to. I need to. I need to get better at this. You know, um, you guys both know. I, Corey, I'm going to come into you for a question, but let me take you on story time for a second. Um, I'm a big fan of stand-up right. comedy, right? You guys know this, and I think bigger than a fan of what's on stage. I'm a huge fan of process yeah. in terms of, and personally in my life, as a I, process is very difficult for me. I'm not that sort of person, but I always appreciate. I'm, people. I'm shocked. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate people who have process, right? Um, which is why there's different types of comedians that that I appreciate. Then that you know, there's the ones that can just have four words that are kind of like those debaters. That you that and I heard your last episode about internalized, don't memorize, right? They're the internalized comedians. They put three bullet notes and they can do ninety minutes. They've got the three main stories. They're not going to say it the same way in the two cities that they tour. It's never going to sound the same. You're going to get a different version of the show every night. And there's some comedians who literally script word for word, right? The Jerry Seinfelds of the world. So I had an experience to to talk to one of these comedians, Dimitri oh, yeah. Martin. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dimitri Martin. When when he yeah. came to Calgary, backstage I got to go see Dimitri Martin. And he had typed out like six pages and these six pages were not word for word, but he had actually on note cards had written word for word. So he had this typed out six pages. And I, I mean, not on a computer, I mean, typewriter. Okay. 
And he had note cards that had the long form version of every joke. And each line in those six pages matched to a joke that he would actually recite. And when we went to his mm-hmm. green room, Carter, he had a version of this typewriter page with all of these jokes. So like 30 lines, six times, 180 jokes, right, that he had done over the 90 minute set. And he was going through from memory, giving each one a grade of zero, half or a one. And zero would mean it fell flat. One would mean keep it for the next set. Half would mean I need to rewrite it. And he was in the middle of that process while we found him. And I was like, that was like totally not who I am. But the appreciation for that is just wild to me. Like, And, and I think the word that I used was just professionalism. But what to me, it is, it's craftsmanship, right? Like the craftsmanship of of what you do. Corey, where are you on the on 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 this scale of things? Like Carter, and, and before I get to you, Carter, with the Bronnie Crombie thing that we just discussed, how would you document that? Or would you? Like, w- would that be something as part of your toolkit going forward? Would you write this down and say, I don't want to oh, forget yeah. about this? Like, oh, yeah. give me at least a g- greater sense. I would what put would that you write in down kind of like the tricks category. And I'd say, uh, well, I mean, it's, it fits into a broader scale of tricks. And it's just the, it's the leak trick, right? But the leak trick is just now being used as a, um, as a website, a, pre, a pre-lit website. There's all kinds of different ways to do That's a leak trick. The leak trick is pretty open. Corey, you've got a you've got a photographic memory, I imagine. So none of this is probably needed for you. But tell me what you do. <laughs> uh, I don't. Um, I have a good memory, but it's not photographic. What I do tend to do, I'm very much um, when something comes up, I look at what I've done in the past that might be comparable. And so for me, I don't have note cards. I have my Dropbox, which has my entire digital life going back to like. I don't know, 2006 or earlier, even before I had Dropbox, right? And I will often go through and I'll say, okay, well, what did I do on that campaign? How did Mm. I write that thing in 2008 for the Dave Taylor Alberta Liberal Party leadership race? That seems vaguely relevant there. And I'm a big, I'm a big believer in going back and reviewing your old work. And, and often you'll have like in mixed levels and mixed degrees, kind of like, Hey, that's better than I remember it. And, oh, my God, that's so much worse than I remember it. But at least it gives you a starting point. And one of the things I find if you do that is you do actually see sort of the consistency of self, too. Like, I don't know if you yeah, find this, Steve. I, I find that, too, all the time. Yeah. But I'll be like, I, I thought I came up with that phrase in the last three years. I've been using that for 15 years, you know. And uh, and But it's good to go back through. And, and I'm not so great at documenting in a really well archived sense, the results of all of these things, but I'll see it and I'll remember it. And I'll be like, how did that play out? And I'll think about that a little bit, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite impressed with Steven's little there, part. That, I mean, just keep in mind that when it, how it worked is still a mystery because I don't write down how it worked very often because it, it doesn't matter that scenario. It may not have worked the next scenario. You treat yeah, it more as like an idea it, it's, starter. It's not about yeah. whether it worked. It's about whether or not it's going to lead to the thing that does work, right? Like you, you the amount of idea sharing and idea stealing, right? Like I always think of like a campaign, like Corey or Zane, you're talking about right, you know, uh, stand-up comedy. The the equivalent would be the writer's mm. room, right? The, the writer's room throwing sure, ideas yeah. onto the table and then building off of those ideas. And we do that on the pod. I mean, we do this all the time. We build off of each other. You you force us into yes ands all the time, even when Corey's being completely stupid. And uh, then I have to yes and him. And you know, but this is the this is the joy of the podcast. Like we're building something together. That's what we do in a in a good campaign. A good campaign, you're building something together, and the person who 
you know, um, who's never had any input before, who's never done a campaign before, could be the person who's got the idea you need. And that's the best part about politics. That's that's very interesting. Corey, um, jump on that point. Well, I, I think that's 100% true. And, and where I think I really like what Steven's done and I don't do as good of a job is I have a folder in said Dropbox that's like interesting things other people did that I want to remember and look at or maybe a paper that somebody wrote about that. I almost never go that to that folder. I need to go to that folder more frankly, like I tend to think of the campaigns as the filter. Like if I thought of something before a campaign or if I saw something in the six months before the campaign and I thought it was any good, I probably used it. And then that becomes the record, like what I did during the campaign. It's, but it's, yeah, I'm it, not good at kind of capturing the third party stuff. We as a, we as a, and I, I would, I dare not to say I, I work in this profession, so to speak, because it's, it's, it's broader than that for all of us in some ways. But let me use that as a shorthand for a second. We have this tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater, that losing campaigns did everything wrong and winning campaigns did everything right. And often we throw out good tactics or good strategies or good campaigns within a losing campaign and we celebrate good, bad sort of tactics within a winning campaign because of factors that were really very limited or not necessarily due to that. I, I mean, maybe you do, but if I did that, I'd literally yeah. throw everything out. Well, well yeah, I mean, <laughs> you lose a lot, which is a, gr- a great way for you to come out and, and let us know that. But Carter, isn't that true? We often perhaps over overcalculate and overcorrect on the on the winning side. Uh, and, and give it maybe well, too much credit I, I think in certain that the cases. problem is that really bad campaigners do that a tremendous amount. And I think that the that's what plagued uh, the, the conservatives, the PCs in, in 2000 and, and, uh, mm. 2015 when they lost to the to the NDP is that they were thinking that everything that we had done in 2012, because we kind of, you know, we were accidental victors in 2012. And I'll be the first, to, I mean, I was, I think the first to say it, I'll be the first to continue to say it. We didn't deserve that victory. They gave it to us, right? Danielle Smith and her Wild Rose Party gave us that outcome. Um, but we learned a tremendous, like we learned a tremendous amount. We didn't do everything wrong. We just happened to be doing, we happened to be losing. Um, the, we, you know, we had lunch the other day, the three of us with our good friend, Dan Arnold, and we were talking about the great, uh, Al Noor Kassam campaign of 2007. Uh, you know, the, 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 the campaign that brought the great minds of, uh, Dan Arnold and Stephen Carter together on one campaign. We never worked together since very upsetting. Anyways. Um, you know, the, the, the truth is that that campaign was a disaster. I mean, we had a you know a candidate that you know admitted to being an, a, a, a Kenyan criminal. I mean, not great, not a great day on the campaign trail, if you're wondering. Um, but what we learned on that campaign, the the lessons of that campaign, powered the Nahadnenshi campaign to victory. That campaign, you know, everything that I learned from Al Nurkasam, we used for Nahadnenshi and. You know, so no doubt true and cool. That is quite a soundbite that I look forward to coming out out of context at a at a future date. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. Uh, and very nicely done. Nicely done on this segment, Carter. We'll leave that segment there. Let's move it on to our next segment. Our next segment, 99 problems and three real choices. Can we talk a few minutes about what's happening in Toronto oh, sure. in their mayoral race? Sure. Stephen Carter, there's 102 candidates. And only three of them seem to have above double digits in in polling, which means that in this situation, there's probably going to be a winner of this campaign that nets out at, depending on how this thing goes, mid-20s to mid-30s. That's what a winning campaign in Toronto will look like. Carter, from a straight sort of 
let me ask you this, and I'll, I haven't even, not even asked you about the candidates yet. From a straight sort of by-election democracy angle, is that upset you? Or are you just like, fuck it, that's just a situation. You don't care. Both of you. I want to <laughs> because there's I, I, I yes, I can see I can see there's emotions. So Carter, jump in, could Corey, jump not in, it'll care get less. Person who gets the most votes wins. The fact that there's 102 candidates makes it a little confusing. Uh, but we said this before we knew there was going to be 102 candidates. We said a person who comes in with a, who is very well known with an existing platform, with an existing brand position is going to win this election. Shocker of all shocks. That's what's happening. There is not enough time. There was not enough time three months ago to launch a viable campaign to actually win. The interesting thing that I think is how vulnerable Olivia Chow will be in two years, right? Everything will write itself. If Olivia Chow is not supposed to be the mayor for a decade, you know what? The next election clears it. So it is what it is, and it's absolutely fine. And don't come after me again, you stupid, I mean, you lovely proportional representation people. <laughs> I just can't do it again. I can't keep telling you how wrong you are and, and be polite about it. I just can't. Corey, uh, Carter mentioned Olivia Chow. She seems to be in the lead right now. There's a forum poll that came out a few days ago having her in the in the low to mid-30s. That seems to be almost double uh, her her opponent, Mark Saunders, the former police chief, uh, who's who seems to be trailing in second, followed by uh, a slew of third, third place candidates and then uh, several also-rans on this list. Same question to you, though. The democracy angle, does that worry you at all? Or do we just like, fuck it, move on? Let's talk about the specifics in this race. Yeah, I, I mean, it does worry me when the will of the people is going to be so potentially muddled that you can win with 30% of the vote. And frankly, that's a relief that it's not 20% of the vote. And who knows? Uh, maybe something that there was more of a winnowing of the candidates, a ranked ballot. Maybe maybe Olivia Chow would get 50% in a model mm. like that. But I'd sure like to know. And I think Torontonians deserve having a mayor that has a little bit more support oh, than 30% God. support. It, it is one of those things that I think is going to be just like the, uh, you know, the referendum about Lakehead versus the Lakehead versus Thunder Bay. People will point to and say, yeah, see what happens when there's just... You know, weird choices on the ballot that can break things here. I, I, it makes a good case for the vote splitting. That's a really, that's a, that's a very specifically badly devi devised ballot. See, this is democracy. We have this many people who want to be the mayor. Let's choose the best amongst them. Totally. Well, so there are a lot of models though, right? There could be, for example, if nobody gets over 50% of the vote, there's a runoff with the top two candidates or maybe the top three. And it's a ranked ballot for the second round. Those kinds of models make an awful lot more sense when your elections look a lot more like this. And maybe this is an aberration. Maybe it's not. But certainly it's going to have people saying, well, let's actually zoom out a little bit and say the job of an election is to reflect the will of the people. Can we agree to that? Yeah. Can We, we can agree no, to that's, that. I don't think that the that's least, the job right? of an election. If. Okay. I, I, okay. Oh, all right. Counter okay. What is it? Interesting take. Let's maybe get to your counterproposal in a second. But if we believe that is the job of an election, then as the conditions change, it makes sense that the system has to change too. Because ultimately, the conditions may lead to you otherwise not getting the will of the yeah. people. Carter, what the is job the of job the of an election, election? Is to simply choose a representative who will in turn try to represent the people through decisions. Wait, uh, sorry, a representative. Right. 
Okay, okay. It's a, I'm a representative little hung up on democracy. that word here. So it's, it's not to reflect the will of the people. We are it's to be representative. Because you know what? The will of the people will not be known three days after the election. The will of the people was not known when we went into COVID. The will of the people is not known when the issues develop. We are choosing a representative to represent us. It is their job, therefore, to represent us in a fashion that will get them reelected. If they do not represent us in a fashion that will get them reelected, then they're gone. And we choose another representative. We are only choosing the representative. That is the only function of the democracy. I mean, especially when you're even looking at this election in Alberta. All the parties are all over the place. The ideological stuff is all broken. Nothing even makes sense anymore. There, I'm done it. I said it. I said it. I said it. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Corey, uh, here's the thing. Uh, Carter, let me go to you. Sure. back to you for a second. Olivia Chow seems to be on this path of victory. Toronto Star and, and Forum Research say it's, it's I'm going to paraphrase because I, I don't have the exact article, as I often say in front of me. I, it's an undeniable at this point. She's got this thing. Oh. Would you be worried if your team Olivia yeah, Chow? Yeah, I would right be now? worried. I mean, how many? What, and let's, let's kind of build, and here's what I want to do. Let's build a list of uh, just some advice for her. She's the, the front runner. She seems to have a double digit lead, perhaps even like half of her, uh, her opponent seems to be half of her. What advice, what worries would you have for her right now? Let's put a list in and, and some a nice little basket together that we can send off. Uh, I mean, I think way. the biggest thing would be voter turnout. Um, you suddenly look like you're running away with it. And uh, the voter turnout is like, yeah, you know what? I like Olivia, blah, blah, blah. But I really don't feel that passionate about voting for her. So I'm just not going to because she's going to win anyways. And all of a sudden, your voter turnout model fundamentally shifts. And when we start to see fundamental shifts in voter turnout models, then you start to see strange outcomes because the polling no longer represents the entire um, group of the population, right? So the population of polling is everybody who uh, can vote. The population uh, that actually votes could be a different population. So you just don't want to see that. You want to have as big a turnout as possible because the larger the turnout, the more representative it's going to kind of be uh, of the potential that you represent. So I think that, you know, Olivia Chow just does not want everybody to become complacent. Uh, if they think that she's going to walk away with it, um, it, it could get really ugly really quickly. I want to get back to that point in a second. Corey, your, your thoughts on this as we build on some advice for the front runner in this campaign, Olivia Chow. Yeah, we don't know what the next four weeks are going to turn up like five weeks, I guess, in, in Toronto on, on the way to the actual ballot here. But it is quite possible that this has been an unofficial primary of sorts, and you're going to see a natural winnowing of the field, and you're going to see people say, okay, well, if you're not in the double digits, you're probably not real, and those people are going to drift from 2% in the polls to 0% in the polls. That's very possible. You know, you got got 100 people running. Oh my God, what what an insane number of people. And, and people are going to have to make choices about who's viable and not. We say this all of the time, accessibility, viability, intent. Mm. Well, now we're at a point where viability matters an awful lot more. And I do expect you'll see some sort of natural rationalization of the field as things move forward. Not for sure. Like when I think about the California gubernatorial that Arnold Schwarzenegger won, I would say... Didn't end up with that rationalization of the Good field. Good point, yeah. Right? But generally speaking, you do see people say, okay, these are these are folks who are in the game and these are folks who are not in the game. And so if you're Olivia Chow, you've got to be mindful that if it becomes a sense of anybody but Chow, you're probably in a little bit of peril still, even though you've got a pretty significant lead 
at this particular moment. But having double the vote when you're at 30% to 15% is not exactly an insurmountable double the vote. And it's quite possible that as this thing goes on, as people look at this campaign through the lens of three candidates, or even two candidates instead of one candidate, or 100 candidates, it's going to look a little bit different. And so uh, you've got to make sure you don't end up being kind of wedged against 99. It can't be 99 people versus Olivia Chow. It's got to be a bit of a mix. you got to keep things interesting in the uh-huh. sense that you can't immediately find yourself on the wrong side of the coalition of 99. Well said, Corey. And, and, and Carter, I want to talk to you about this, this concept of the Nenshi insurgency that you talked about getting into third place. There does seem to be a bit of that with a couple of the candidates, Bio and and Matla, and 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 I believe Matlow as well, trying to get into this position of, of potentially becoming third in some polls, Bio second. Um, but your your thought here on is an insurgent second or third place possible? And how does one, let me get more specific, how does one start? and get traction for an anyone but Chow campaign. How does that actually work? I'm very well, curious. The first about thing it. you have to do is, is establish your own brand super strong. So whatever your positions are going to be, make sure that those positions are easily understandable and that they've already kind of been put out, that you look like you're a real candidate. Um, we have a lot of problems with this where candidates don't be, don't think they need to become real until some later date in the campaign. And the truth is you need to be really you need to be very real very quickly um, in this type of a campaign. And I think that you can see a couple of people really surging into that reality spot where all of a sudden they are um, they're more likely to be known. They're more likely to get their press releases covered. And as soon as that happens, it really doesn't take much to position yourself like when you're in second, third, second, third or fourth. All of a sudden, you are naturally in the game. You are naturally being spoken about. And at that point, the anybody but Olivia game becomes very real. And if I were in the Chow campaign, that would be the thing that I would be the most fearful of, is an anybody but and uh, the entire campaign coalescing between, you know, behind essentially uh, three or four people. Uh, and that very easily could happen in in the coming in the coming weeks it's it's not i mean nenshi was at one percent with 60 but, days but can to I, go can I, you know like it it doesn't take a very long time for for everything to shift Corey, how do you prevent it if you're the chow campaign how do you prevent it and going back to another point carter made how do you ensure that your supporters don't get lazy simultaneously how do you prevent the the wedging and then how do you prevent your your supporters from from not getting lazy in that sense Well, you can't become the villain on any issue, right? So Mm. you've got to be mindful if you make a statement, for example, where you said like, uh, you know, I I actually think if anything, we need fewer police officers on the... I'm just giving an absurd example here, right? Fewer police officers on the street. Well, then all of a sudden... You are giving your opponents a bit of a hook to come in and say, like, you know, you know, Olivia Chow is soft on crime and Toronto doesn't need that right now. And yes, we need to look at other solutions. Yes, we need response times. Yes, we need, you know, mobile phone coverage on the TTC. But you know what? We also need police right now. 
today. And that's something Olivia Chow is just not willing to do, and that's wrong. You know, that you've got to almost create this villain version of the candidate in order to get that coalescing that we've been talking about. So avoid mm. being the villain by being a reasonable person who is not making broad statements, right? It's the same as any time you're trying to build a coalition. You're, you've just got to make sure that you're not saying things that are going to cleave people away from you in any way, shape, or form. So... I guess in a way, it's a variant of the standard frontrunners campaign where you play it a little bit safer. You're not going out there to say things that are bold or going to get you noticed because you risk this potential backfire effect. Um, the The reality is Olivia Chow has been in the public eye for quite some time. I suspect people will try to pull comments out from when she was an MP, back from when she was in the public eye uh, with Jack Layton. Who the hell knows? And there's the risk that something is going to be taken and torqued out of there. But the way you comport yourself has got to be reasonable so that when these things do come up, you've you've provided yourself a bit of a, you know, an off-ramp. So, you know, maybe don't skewer somebody for comments they made six years ago or if you're worried about comments you made for six years ago, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, it's just keep your head down, smile, do regular campaign stuff. Uh, the bigger, bolder pushes are the ones that risk the potential backfire. Carter, a build off on what Corey said as we wrap up this segment. How do you prevent the anyone but campaign? And how do you ensure what you put on the table earlier that your voters don't get lazy or um, presumptive that this is a done deal for you? And in, in some cases, a tightening actually kind of helpful to you or is any sort of tightening total bullshit and it's not helpful that that's a myth of campaigns tightening, that the tightening, tightening doesn't, doesn't help motivate. very much. I mean, you just want to stay as far ahead as you can. Um you know, in terms of like when we went when when Nenshi was beating or catching up with um, with Rick McIver and uh, Barb Higgins, he was catching up. You know, regard like they weren't making mistakes. We were just coming after them. Like if they if they burped, we we were there, and we, you know, Nenshi would attack them that moment. Um, you know, it, it was nearly impossible for them to breathe without a negative. Like when they released their their platforms, we had negative or negative commentary out within I think two hours, and we'd never seen their their you know their platform before. But we were able to pick it all apart and find everything that was wrong with it, even if there was nothing wrong with it, because you know that was that was the game that we were playing. And I suspect that if you're in third place, hoping to get the second place, um, you're probably playing a very similar game, uh, you know, as that uh, right now, because that's really the only way that you're going to get there. You have to just tear them apart, and in the way that, in the opposite way, is to put your foot on their throat and to stop them to grow, right? Like, and that's what we did to uh, Jeff Davison's campaign and in, in with the Gondek campaign. We just, just forced him not to be able to grow we 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 never gave him any oxygen uh we just kept attacking i think attacking is the way to do these things rather than playing defense but um i mean there could be whole whole episodes of podcasts dedicated to uh attack versus defense we're gonna leave that segment there Stephen carter move it on to our final segment our over under our mm -hmm. lightning round carter Thank we you. do this for you and i need i need this desperately i need you to give me a ranking of one to ten on the bonnie crombie soft launch exploratory campaign leak strategy slash non-strategy oh it's got to be a, at least an a minus same i mean it, it it 
it got double the coverage. Well, I mean, we haven't seen her launch yet, but I guarantee she's going to get the same amount of coverage. She's a real player. And so she she gets an extra whole cycle of coverage uh, for herself. Doesn't cost herself the launch coverage. And uh, she's really sitting perfect. I mean, I definite B plus from me. Okay, great. A downgrade from an A minus to a B I'm plus not on a scale consistent. of one to ten. Corey, uh, what is it for you? Not important. Well, Zane, I guess I give it a five eight seven A zero K Zane. Good one. Um, thank you, Corey. Thank you, Corey. Corey, I'm going to stick with you on this next one. Ron DeSantis is expected to enter yeah. the U.S. presidential, well, not the U.S. presidential race, the nomination for the GOP to be uh, to become their 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 nominee for for president. What are you looking for? this week from Ron DeSantis as part of his launch. We talked about launches uh, today with Bonnie Crombie, but just give me your your one word, your one thing that you're looking for from Ron. It could be rhetoric, it could be visuals, it could be branding, it could be positioning, it could be all these things. Moment, What is the one thing you are very curious about when Ron DeSantis launches this week, Corey? A hundred percent. It's how he deals with the Donald Trump question. How is he going to position himself versus Trump? For me, that is the question on this particular one. Is he going to position himself aggressively? Is he going to be dismissive of Donald Trump? Is it going to be a combination of both? I don't know. But if he has no Donald Trump strategy, or if it looks like he's just going to say how great he is as he runs against him, well, then I think his campaign is dead in the water. So that to me is the big determinant. Carter, what is it for for you as you... um as you look at Ron DeSantis launching uh, this week, uh, of course, Donald Trump on Truth Social, uh, calling him Tiny Ron and then mentioning his height. Yeah, which I think, I think was, that's a fake post. I felt yeah, very, very funny. So I'm really well, I mean, yeah. yeah, Tiny D, yeah. Tiny D, yeah, uh, yeah. would be way better. Um, Carter, what are you looking for? Is it the Trump question? Is it something else? Is it crowd size? Is it endorsements? Is it brand? Is it branding? For you, what is it? As as Ron DeSantis launches or is expected you know, to launch, it's it's so uh it, it's so repetitive because i'm always saying this Corey is so right um <laughs> cory you know it, it is basically is he going to stand up there and you know be a sycophant to trump or is he going to stand up there and say donald trump is a loser who cannot win in the next election we need a better candidate can i ask you can i ask you very quickly on this does he need to do that on launch he doesn't do it on can launch that be a day, tomorrow thing already. He's got to come out with his 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 key differentiating factor, and his key differentiating factor is that if you don't, what's, why are you in the race? Yeah. Like literally, why are you there? If you if you do not want to take a position on Trump, then don't be in this race because you don't need to be there. You can go do other things. You can go to Disney World. Disney World is great. I love Disney World. Um, Corey, you know what you should do. You should take your hard-earned Patreon money. Take the kids to and Disney take the World. Kids to to yeah. Disney World. They'd love it. Love it, I tell you. Yeah, I'm so glad they don't listen I'll because talk. I, you know. Me and Annalise got our own little Discord yeah. thing going on. Corey. It's quite great. It's, yeah. Corey Carter said so the what, word. Go ahead. Go ahead. What do you yeah, want? Yeah. Look, so to greatly confuse our audience, my daughter's name is Annalise as well as our co-host's name being Annalise. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, there you want to tell the name a little of bit back. all your, your children and social insurance again? numbers? Yeah, we want well, to yeah. your child's name. I'm sorry, what? Uh, I've got a gift for you, actually. I've had a gift for five months, but you've been too busy to pick up the fucking... Like, I can't get over to bring the gift over. You're too busy. 
I hope it's a fucking oh. toaster. That's all I'll say. <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I could use. I like a good it's callback. A, it's, it's a good cupboard-based toaster. I could just plug into the cupboard, so I could open it, swing it in. Beautiful stainless steel, but hidden. Hidden from plain view. Uh, Corey, Carter used the word repeat and repetitive. Uh, if there was a word that you, Corey Hogan, citizen of Alberta, would be repeating to yourself as a mantra this week to round out the election, what would it be? for you, Corey. What is your what is your your word that you're going to be just repeating to yourself in a in almost a quasi religious way uh, for the rest of this week? I don't I have I have no clever answer for this, Zane. I think one of the things that all Albertans will be doing, regardless of who they're supporting, is just saying, Oh my God, I just want this to be over. You know, uh, it, it just, it feels like such a high wire act. It feels like I don't want to deal with another week of um, well, like, so I live pretty close to an NDP campaign office and uh, clearly the landlord's not on side because they've started putting up like signs that are anti NDP on the side of the building. The NDP is renting from them. Like, I'm just so sick of the bullshit. I'm so sick of this. I just, you know, can this be over? Right. I, I just don't, uh, I, I think this is an important election. It's a high stakes election. I think if you are um, have the time, you should get engaged in the election for whatever team you support. I just don't want to do it anymore. Carter, you're a man of the cloth, uh, a man who carries yeah. around a rosary. Uh, as you as you bead by bead, what word are you repeating this week? Uh, the the, as the answer is please. Um, you know, I'm I'm just saying please, 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 <laughs> please. Let's get. I mean. Corey's like little soliloquy about, you know, being involved regardless of whatever team you support. Uh, fuck that. Um, do not support the UCP, please. Danielle Smith has lost her ever love in mind. Um, her candidates are trash. And uh, this is a literally the worst election I have ever seen from a political party. And, and, and the fact that they could win it is a stain upon all of us. It is like we are all walking around with a shit stain in our underwear that came from Danielle Smith. And none of us have the fucking gumption to take our undies off and put them in the washing machine. Take your undies off. Put them in the washing machine. Get your ass out to vote. Okay. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1065 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velge. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we will see you next time. The following horror stories about Calgary traffic are brought to you courtesy of current mayor Dave Bronconye. I took Glenmore westbound under the new interchange. It was sure quick. I got into the 37th Street traffic jam faster than ever. Why can't you get onto Deerfoot North from Beddington? Are they worried we'll leave for Edmonton? A vote for El Noor sends the message that you want a new approach to the traffic crunch. Make your voice heard, Calgary. Vote El Noor. Send a message. Brought to you by the Go El Noor campaign.